We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. It's our Sunday SEC baseball conversation with Colin Brister. As the Rebels drop another series at Texas A&M over the weekend to fall to 1-8 and eight in the Southeastern Conference as uh, this team appears to be really up against it. We talked about what we learned from the weekend, uh, the new look rotation, how that fared, missed opportunities offensively, and uh, any path at all to this team being in any sort of postseason contention. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Not too late if you missed out on March Madness. That's a real shame for you, but not too late to jump on Skybox tonight before the big game, the national title series. They're crushing it in NASCAR, got baseball, NBA playoffs coming up. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range if you're into wagering you need to use skybox you're wasting money if you're not they're the only way to profit in the long run all you have to do is go online skyboxsportspicks.com find a picks package that fits your price range type in the promo code rippy r-i-p-p-e-e and that'll get you 20 percent off check them out skyboxsportspicks.com podcast also brought to you by lb's university avenue there in oxford go see greg if you're rippy right subscriber that's rippy rights.substack.com get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now it's a 16 ounce or excuse me three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks that's about a 40 dollar valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks go check them out lb's is the best butcher shop in the world go find all your own favorites all kinds of delicious cuts i like the tri-tip the fillet burgers are awesome find your own favorites lb's university avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on the weekend that was for Ole Miss baseball. All right, we now welcome on the man himself, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. And the Rebels, they're in trouble. They're not very good. Not very good. No, they're not. Sure. I mean, so that'll do it for our show today. We'll catch <laughs> Colin back on Wednesday. No, I, I mean, look, it's. <laughs> That could be that could be what we said left. They're just not any good. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the overall theme. You know, we we've we've spent a couple most of the last month of the show talking about the pitching. Then kind of over the last week and a half, it's been pointed out, hey, the offense actually isn't doing its part either. And now what we've arrived at after they lose two of three in a very winnable series. Uh, against a pretty average or mediocre at best Texas A&M team. Now what you're starting to see is exactly what you said. They're just not very good in any phase of the game right now. They're, uh, you know, in conference play, they're one of the two worst offenses. They're pretty middle of the pack, actually, a little more shaded towards the bottom pitching staff-wise. And they made two catastrophic fielding errors that cost them a Friday game that ultimately cost them a series. I say cost them the Friday game, cost them a pretty good chance at winning the Friday game is probably a more apt way to put it. And it feels it feels like late April or mid-April of the 2022 team last year. And I don't want to spend the whole time comparing the two teams last year because both got in a hole. But it feels similar in the sense that it just seemed like some other type of missed opportunity every weekend when they got in that funk where they kept losing two out of three, two out of three, two out of three. And we'd have completely different reasons to talk about why this is starting to feel just like that. Yeah. Um, 
but with last year's team, you, you you knew the leadership was unquestioned and that they had guys that had been around the program for a long time. But the issue for this team um, is the guys that are the leaders of this program, the, the guys that have been there four years, um, have struggled. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great situation and it's not very good. I don't, I don't really, you know, we can talk about the mound struggles, but if you had told me, Hey, after, cause, cause I knew the pitching wasn't great, obviously going at into conference play, right. Even though they had won what, um, 12 of or 11 of the 12 games, um, on the, uh, you know, in, in the weekend series of non-conference play, I knew the pitching wasn't great. Um, and I knew it wasn't going to be good in SEC play, but I but I kept saying, hey, Texas A&M's pitching wasn't good last year. You can just bash your way to wins. Yep. But if you had told me this offense was just not going to be very good or be middle of the pack, I'm like, oh, they're in trouble. I had no way of knowing this offense would not be able to produce. Um, look, and I know they scored 15 runs on Saturday, but the game on Sunday, um, that can't happen. When, when you actually do pitch it well and you score four runs, um, and you go into the lull that they went into after Calvin Harris's home run. It's just there's too many. There's there's just not enough guys are producing right now. And um, if you had told me that the offense was going to produce um, at the level that they have so far in SEC play, yeah, uh, you know, a month ago I said, oh, they're they're in trouble, and they are. They are in trouble. Yeah, it's it's dead on because there was never a world, as you just outlined, I'm mostly just echoing a lot of what you said there, but there was just never a world that through three weekends, Ole Miss was going to be either the worst or the second worst offense, depending on which metrics you want to go by, in SEC play. Um, there was just never really a world where that was going to that was gonna fly. There was just never any world where that was going to, to give them a chance. Like I would have told you, oh, they're the second worst, you know, they're the worst team in, or second worst in batting average second worst in slugging hit one of the fewest home runs in the conference don't walk at all and are striking out at a somewhat decent clip but I said yeah they're probably in trouble that uh, that uh, that part I could have seen coming it's the fact that they are a bad offense that is uh I guess the surprising piece of it and you mentioned the the Sunday game uh today against Texas A&M as we record this on a Sunday night Ole Miss Liz is on a walk-off 5-4 uh, you mentioned after getting off to the good start, they played a couple in the first inning, and then they just go into a lull. I think A&M's bullpen retired 10 in a row um, after, like, the second or third inning on. I can't remember. I had it written down earlier. You mentioned, like, that can't happen. You're exactly right. But the thing is, it's happened in every single series yeah. finale so far, and that's supposed that was what was supposed to be this team's calling card. Hey, they'll win a lot of Sunday games because they'll simply get into other teams' bullpens and bash their way to wins, even if the pitching isn't great. Well, the the, the opposite is happening. The, the, yeah. They're failing their Sunday pitching. Yeah, no. Um, look, the, the the pitching staff, you know, was as good as you could hope for on a Sunday, and, and Ole Miss just wasn't able to get it done offensively. Um, and look, you can. I, I'm interested in your opinion. I didn't necessarily think Texas A&M threw really good arms at them. I didn't think those arms were very good that they saw. Um, and Ole Miss was able to do almost nothing um, until the ninth inning against them. It's just, it's just not good enough. Look, this team is hitting two thirty in SEC play with a sub seven hundred OPS. They have two guys over an eight hundred OPS in SEC play. Peyton Chatier is hitting o fifty five or something of that nature in SEC play. Um, I like it. It's as bad as it can get, really. From my, he's hitting o fifty nine in SEC. I don't know how that. At some point, he is two for thirty four in SEC play. Now both are doubles. Funny enough, um, but man, at some point. I don't know what you do there. Um, yeah, it's, it's when you look at the stats. It probably you didn't probably have to go back and look up uh, to figure out that both of those were doubles. That's that's one of those classic ones where you see that he has two hits and you just remembered both of them. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> that's never good. That's never and, good. and you know what kind of sucks for Ole Miss is like I thought they did some good things on the mound this weekend. I, you know, Mitch Morell obviously has the the tough stint. Um, this weekend, but I thought, you know, Braden Jones pitched well. I thought Mason Nichols, until they asked him to be extended, pitched well. JT Quinn pitched well. Um, you know, I thought they were able to find some, maybe some roles for some guys this weekend. Um, but it just, it, it didn't matter as far as winning the series. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just unfortunate because, man, um, I don't necessarily think AM is a very good baseball team after watching them this weekend. So, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, and, and, and it's getting late early for Ole Miss at this point. 
That is a uh, very apt way to put it. It is certainly getting late early. One last note on the offensive piece of it. You're right. I mean, the uh, Ashenbuck kid that came in, I guess that was right after the starter today. That's a pretty good bullpen arm for AM. But outside of that, the other two guys they threw, I mean, those are four ERA guys. Um, they're not really household names by any stretch of the imagination. Or excuse me, he came in after uh, Rudis, who was actually pretty good in his own right, went through two innings. I mean, Ole Miss scored one earned run over the final six and two-thirds inning off their bullpen, and I would say one of the three guys that they threw behind the starter would be considered a good, you know, good to decent SEC bullpen arm. That just, yeah. uh, just, just not going to work. I mean, I, we keep I sound like a broken record here, but I mean, the truth is the truth. I mean, that's. That's really where you're at. I mean, I, I was going to bring up some of the offensive numbers too, but you really kind of beat me to it on a few of them. And that some of them are, are honestly rather staggering. Like as you pointed out in SEC play, Peyton Chatagnier is hitting 059. He's got two hits. Um, you know, Ethan Leger, we documented his struggles, but at least he's kind of come in and out and they put Burford at third. Who Burford had a pretty productive weekend. Yeah, he's Burford actually pretty fine. good for them. McCants hasn't been good enough consistently no. for them. I think he has five hits through nine games. This is about a buck 79. And honestly, like Clanthony Calarco has been okay in some spots, but you figure you get more than a home run and three RBIs through three SEC weekends from him. It's just, again, there's too many holes and too many empty at bats. You know, Calvin Harris has been awesome for the entirety of the year. Kemp Alderman, while the numbers have dipped in SEC play, has overall been pretty good to okay. And it's kind of the same thing with Jacob Gonzalez, despite some up games and some down games. But now, like when you kind of look at the amount of guys that simply aren't producing and aren't contributing them throughout the lineup, you can see why they go four and five innings where teams retire 10 in a row, nine in a row, 11 in a row, and you just get into an offensive lull after maybe, you know, putting up a couple in the first two innings. Like the numbers in conference play, you can see why that's continuing to happen. The problem, of course, is that it's continuing to happen because this offense was not supposed to allow that to happen at the frequency yeah. that it does, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it's – um you know, like you said, Alderman and Clarko's numbers probably aren't great, but I think both of them have been fine. I think Clarko actually had a better weekend maybe than his numbers show. I, I, I thought he handled lefties well. Um, I think he's actually fine. It's it's once you – frankly, you know, Ethan Groff has a decent weekend, but he was struggling coming into this. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of empty at-bats right now. And, you know, it it, it kind of just looked – I don't know, overmatched at times really um, – I don't know. And and really, there's not any answers on the bench that you can go and look for, to be honest with you. I mean, you can play Udermark, I guess, or Taiwan Malone. Um, but, but you know, I I don't know. It's it's just kind of unfortunate that this offense through three weekends. And at some point, um, at some point when you stri- – like, you know, we could – after the Vanderbilt series, we said, hey, you know, I don't think this is offense is as bad as it looked. At some point they are as bad as they look and you know it's 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 getting it's getting to that point where you just may have to accept that this offense isn't very good um and I should maybe not even say not very good but might maybe mediocre but when you consider what they have on the mound um this offense being mediocre is not going to be near good enough no it is not you are exactly right on that and I don't really know any other way to slice it when you talk about at certain point accepting the offense not very good well what what does that ultimately mean it gets us back to the top. Like we just completed the circle of this conversation, right? That, that means the team's not very good because the pitching's not going to carry this team to 14, no. 15 SEC wins. I, I think everyone is pretty aware of it at that point. And what's crazy is, is we are having this debate, I guess, if you wanted to call it that, right before we started recording, is everything we said could have been true or is, I think, for the, is true. Obviously, some of it is left up for the debate. All of that could have been true and they still could have been, quote unquote, okay. Uh, from a standing standpoint, had the one of these other two games that they lost just gone the other way. At two and seven, you come back home for a home series against Arkansas before you get a disastrous Mississippi State team. You hope at some point, you know, you maybe get Hunter Elliott back in that mix. You're starting to figure a couple things out on the mound. You mentioned the Braden Jones piece of it. I know uh, JT Quinn got pretty fortunate to get to where he got in the ball game today, but hey, he gave him a little bit of length and he threw it in the strike zone. You're figuring out a couple of things pitching wise, like. You could see a path back to getting back on track, but man, at one and eight, you just look up and you think this is this is going to be a tough climb for them, and that's that's what makes these games so consequential and the hole that Ole Miss dug itself in through the first two weekends so consequential because you know, in other years you'd have the margin for error for going to lose a tough road series at sure. AM against a team that's average, but you don't have that margin for error, and now they're really up against it from a standing standpoint. Yeah, no, they are. 
Um, and you know, like we can talk about, Hey, they, you know, the schedule eases up, eases up and I, I get it, you know, you get Arkansas this weekend and we can do the game where, Hey, if you win two and then maybe you, you get lucky and somehow sweep a bad Mississippi state team and you get one at the end of the day, like, you know, uh, until this team shows me the ability to do that, I'm, I'm not playing that game. Um, you know, is it possible that in three weeks we look up and this team has won six of nine SEC games and are, you know, what, what would that be? Seven and 11 after 18. And you, you're like, Hey, they got a shot possibly. Um, do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. Um, you, you know, at some point, like you just kind of stop playing the mathematical game and just accept that maybe this team, um, unfortunately, is not an NCAA tournament team. And that's unfortunate after last year. But some of it is, you know, the the, the guys they lost and, and some injuries. And sometimes, you know, Ole Miss has been lucky over 23 years. This hasn't happened. But sometimes crap just happens. And 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 it's, it's maybe not the best baseball team they've ever had. And, um unfortunately they put themselves in a hole that's going to be extremely hard to dig out of, but, but sometimes you just have bad years and, you know, Mike Bianco's done a well of a job to avoid that at Ole Miss, but um, it might be the year that, that might just be the case. Yeah. I mean, you, we one of the things you'd always talk about Mike in the grand debate of kind of where he stands as a coach. And before he obviously won the national title, you know, his future at Ole Miss at the time was, Hey, his teams almost never suck. You might, <laughs> might've just gotten one that sucked and kind of looking into the, uh, the actual games a little bit on Friday, they get off to a pretty good start. They put two, they got to Detmers pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, you think it, okay, that, you know, they, they, they're kind of off and running here. Doherty runs into a little bit of trouble, but he did enough to give them a chance to win that game. They're up. I want to get to the, the fateful seventh inning in a second, sure. but before the delay, one of the, the, the things that is kind of plagued this team is when they do have opportunities at the plate to kind of yeah. take control of a game or blow it open. They haven't done that. And I felt like that really kind of reared its head in the sixth inning of this game before they went to the delay. Cause you're what at, you're at three, three at the time. Clarko yeah. leads off of the walk furnace singles. So you got first and second, no outs, a shot, shot and yay double um, plates are run. So Ole Miss takes the lead four to three and they have second and third, no outs. Ashenbeck comes in for uh, Detmers. Sunday was the second time Ole Miss had faced him. Strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. I mean, you're talking, even if you don't have a great inning, getting those two guys home with second and third no outs to make it six to three is a wildly different outlook in terms of the grand scope of the game than you take the lead, but you leave the inning feeling like A&M really stepped over a snake there. Now they can get back in the dugout and really kind of have a shot to match it or take the lead. That felt like a crucial moment in the game, and you've seen them not capitalize really repeatedly at times when they've had a chance to take control of the game. Yeah, no, that that did feel like a massive moment where, you know, if you could extend that, you know, everything just kind of sets up. And, uh, um, yeah, it's just just unfortunate that that they have continue to have those at bats in those situations, um, you know. But that's just reality right now that the offense isn't good enough and is striking out too much. And um, you know, I'm 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 a big proponent of strikeouts don't usually matter. Um, but when there's a guy on less than third and less than two outs, you have to avoid King up. Um, and and they obviously in that situation weren't able to do that. Yep, and then then the then it gets weird, right? Because you have a yeah. lightning delay mixed in for like an hour and a half. That was probably going to be it for Doherty anyway. I don't remember or know at the time. I was kind of doing some high school reunion stuff, watching it on my phone before we got to the place where we were going. But I don't remember if he was like coming out originally. But that felt like he was pretty close to out of gas at that point. I think he was at ninety three pitches. And then the lightning delay happens. Morell comes in after the fact and. Boy, I mean, you talk about a team kind of throwing up on itself a little bit. Yeah. You have two errant throws, one by the third baseman, um, who was – that would be Leger, I guess. At the, he started yeah, the first awesome. game, right? And then yes. you have Morrell throw it over a guy's head. So, all of a sudden, Texas A&M has the bases loaded and the ball never left the infield. Yeah. <laughs> that that and- seems not great. No, it wasn't great. And then, you know, have, you have the walk. All that's unfortunate is they get boss to K. Um, and Mike admitted as much. I'm not sure if it was in the post game or, or, or radio or when it was, but the next pitch to who, who hit the home run? I can't remember the kid's Lavillette. name. Uh, you know, Morel Slider had been gross and they try to sneak a fastball in on the kid. And, um, you know, he hits the 93 mile an hour fastball about 450 feet and Texas A&M takes the lead and wins the game. Um, 
but you know, just just a lot of uh, bad things happen in that inning. You know, that's a uh, play Morrell has made you know five thousand times in his life, and that time he just kind of throws it over his head. Uh, yeah, just just unfortunate that they kind of throw up on themselves defensively in that in that inning. Yep, and that at that point you felt like it was probably oh, no. all over, but the uh, but the crying, as they say, at that point because that was just a, such a deflating sequence to come out of a, ra- a a lightning delay. Don't want to make Lane Burrows mad there. Not a rain delay. Um, so, so speaking of that, somebody somebody texted me a big conspiracy theory this weekend. And you know how we're big on conspiracy theories, right? So uh, you know how the argument has always been against Mike Bianco that like or for Mike Bianco when he, when they talked about firing him is like, man, do y'all know how bad it would be to like you know suck in the regular season and be you know be miserable? And somebody texted me this week and is like, is Mike actually showing how miserable it is to have a terrible baseball team? He's like, is he doing this now that they know he knows they can't fire him? Yeah, like, hey, I, I like that theory. Hey, you know, you got the national championship, you ungrateful, you ungrateful wimps. Check it out. This could have been your last twenty years, but it wasn't. Thank me later. Somebody texted me. I'm like, first off, that dude is way too competitive to ever enter his brain. But I was like, I do like the conspiracy theory. I like the conspiracy theory too. I, I'm going to have to side against it ever actually crossing my fake's <laughs> mind. Uh, because in all seriousness, I know that, you know, it's it's a weird to talk about this in the uh, sense that we are, you know, them being one and eight, because this is a disastrous kind of code red start in any other Mike Bianco year. You know, you'd be talking about people having conniptions, but it's kind of it's kind of talked about through lens because of what happened last year. But one person that doesn't, I don't think, feels it through a very different lens is Mike Bianco. You Mike can tell Bianco. by hearing him talk after the games that this is really eating at him because it keeps like he kept kept saying it's just one thing after another. You mentioned the. You know, he thought he caught a bad pitch, tried to sneak a fastball by him, and that's a compounding mistake. They shouldn't have been in that situation. But I just say all of that to point out that, you know, it, it's weighing on him. He He's way too competitive to ever be accepting of something like this. And yeah. you can tell in the postgame this is bothering him because it's not just one issue. Yeah, yeah. And, look, it's it's – I don't know. It's a it's a tough situation for everybody, and and thankfully, you know, obviously they won the national championship last year. But you know, look, they're just it is what it is when you when you talk about like look who they relied on this weekend, right? They relied on um you know on the mound. They relied on a kid that made has made like seven starts in his life on Friday night, um, and for the most part been a been a reliever. Okay, um, then he's followed by a kid that has never really pitched much in his four years at Ole Miss, right? Um, they're then on Saturday, a kid that pitched at, you know, the college of Indianapolis starts. Okay. Then, then a red shirt freshman comes in who didn't pitch last year. Then two actual true freshmen come in after that. Um, and then on Sunday, you're asking, you know, a true freshman and then, uh, Mitch Morrell comes back again, kid that hasn't pitched much in his four years at Ole Miss and the Mason Nichols who had been, who's been solid, but you're talking about two guys that have pitched meaningful innings at the university of Mississippi pitching this weekend. Um, it just, and, and when you compound that with, you know, a, a lineup that doesn't, ha- frankly, I mean, it, that's, this kind of what people forget. They are playing five new guys, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so it, it just kind of has turned into, uh, maybe some transfers, you know, are, are taking a little bit of time to, to get used to SEC play. And, and unfortunately for them, um, the pitching has put them in a spot where they don't really have that time and, you know, and even when the pitching comes well, it, it's just it kind of goes back to that thing. You know, like good teams figure out ways to to win games, and bad teams figure out ways to lose them. And, and right now, Ole Miss is unfortunately not a very good team. Yep. And then you go to the Saturday game, and Ole Miss, it, it, the Rivas gets off to a bad start. He didn't have his best stuff. He was actually. I thought uh, he was. I thought he was actually like. I thought that was impressive what he did. Maybe I'm. I crazy. thought being able to get to the fifth inning, given the yeah. way he started, was pretty impressive, and actually give them some sort of length. Right, he comes back and he throws up a zero, then he allows another run in the fourth. But you're right, given the way that thing started, to give any sort of length was impressive. It just was kind of a tough start to the game. So it was funny. Um, I was sitting there watching the game with my dad, and you know, were you? Did you watch on Saturday when when the kid hit the home run? Yes, that was called foul. So I'm sitting there with my dad, and I'm like, "This kid has given up seven earned runs in three full innings, and I think with the state of the Ole Miss bullpen, they probably need to leave him in." He was like, "Wow, what a sad statement." But it's like, true. That, that's where the Ole Miss pitching staff is. Kid's given up seven earned in three innings, and I'm like, "Yeah, he's probably the best option." 
And then the uh, the ironic portion of that portion of that is you have you, yeah. you go, once you have to uh, get Rivas out of the game, you have a kid that comes in that hasn't pitched very much in Braden Jones, and uh, he was awesome. Yeah, he's gonna pitch some more. <laughs> yeah, that that's you know, talk about like a, you know I mentioned earlier, kind of the juxtaposition of hey, you know, if even if you're not very good team right now, if you leave there with two wins, you can kind of sell the fact that hey, they're kind of figuring this out. That's kind of what an an anecdote of what that looks like. Braden Jones was awesome through gas, was very efficient. That's kind of like, okay, they escaped there with two wins. He was painting the corners of this fastball and looked really damn good. He throws really hard too. And that 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 would be kind of something you could point to to, hey, they're kind of figuring this out. But you know, Braden Jones being awesome doesn't do you a ton of good when you're a, when you're when you're at one and eight and you got a myriad of other issues is 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 yeah. kind of the hang up there, which is which which is unfortunate, but yeah, I I do think he pitches more, and I'm curious. I, I, this feels like kind of an irrelevant conversation at this point, but whatever, just for the hell of it, from a sheer kind of minutia baseball standpoint, given the way he throws and the way he projects, is there any thought to giving him the keys to the back end and kind of moving Ooh. moving uh, moving Mason Nichols into not a round or up or like a demotion type thing, but just being a little more flexible with where you use him because you have uh Braden Jones as an option. On the back end. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Look, I think this rotation um, is one that maybe has some staying power for Ole Miss. I kind of like the, the setup, you know, you got the guy on Friday that look, the ERA is never going to be great, especially after the tough start. But I think we can all agree that Jack Doherty is really the only feasible option to pitch on Fridays for Ole Miss. Um, and then, you know, Revis and, and Quinn have been okay. Um, Quinn's been, or excuse me, Revis has been more than okay. He's been good at times. Uh, but yeah, I think Braden Jones pitching the way he does, especially, you know, gives you more leverage options. Um, and, and you're, certainly more comfortable with him there and you know um it, it yeah it gives you another arm that you trust in big situations i think you know right now mike um probably trusts jones morell and, and and uh nichols in big spots and you know um but but at the end of the day you know you need more than three if you had four or five you, you'd be you'd be kind of set up but you need you need to find a few more guys but but those three certainly um you know, help out. And, you know, if Hunter Elliott's able to return and Doherty moves back, you know, that can give you a four. There's, there's a world where this, this pitching staff is okay here in a few weeks. It's just to the point where I'm not sure there's going to be enough time for it to matter. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yep, you're uh, that's that that's dead on exactly right it's like they they could be okay because mike as we talk about every year kind of always figures out the pitching but you're reaching a point where it doesn't matter and then the revis has the bad start in the game too and you're thinking oh god here here they go again this could get weird and get out of hand because you're looking up particularly after last night's game like kind of like when they blew the florida game it was it was it felt like a carbon copy where it's like well how how is this going to work how are they going to fill out the rest of these innings if revis doesn't give them any sort of length at all this is probably not going to go well but this was kind of one, one game where the offense did take over. And we mentioned earlier in the year, there probably being a point where Braden, uh, or excuse me, Braden, Reagan Burford has a moment. And this was kind of the Reagan Burford game. He gets the big home run to answer in the top of the second. He had a double that helped spark the five run fourth inning after I think Furnace let off that inning with like a four pitch walk, if I remember correctly. 
And they took control of this game. And then you had Braden Jones come in and provide them some stability. And all of a sudden, Ole Miss won, not a laugher per se, because they did score four late to really put it to bed, but kind of got some breathing room. And and that part was good to see. It just got squandered the next day. But this was kind of the one example of their, hey, their offense did kind of help them out here. They gave them a lift. And, you know, that was at least a sign of life. It just didn't ultimately end up continuing. But I do think it's worth pointing out, Reagan Burford had a pretty good weekend for this team. He damn near had gave them a chance to win the game in the ninth inning today. That ball that he hit that ended up yeah. being the game-tying sack fly was real, real close to being a go-ahead home run. And I, I thought he played pretty well this weekend, given the limited opportunities he's had and after the year he had last year. Sure. You know, he's taking a lot of criticism for a plethora of different reasons. Um, no, he had a good weekend and, and where he was really good defensively, or he was really good defensively. Whereas last year, he, he was just quite frankly unplayable at times, um, defensively. So made, made a good play on a pop up and, and was really solid on, on things on the ground. So no, uh, good, good weekend for him. He certainly is, is in my opinion, earned the ability to stay in the lineup for, for a little while for sure. Absolutely. And so they take control of that game. Um, Ole Miss, a, a team that one of the things I wanted to, I had a note written down from this game. Uh, Ole Miss is not walking a ton, and you sit there and you look at, well, what's the difference in the three games from an Ole Miss offensive standpoint? I think Ole Miss entering, no, this is actually post the day. I want to make sure I have this number right. Ole Miss has drawn the second fewest walks in the SEC in conference. Uh, no, excuse me, this is for the year 128. Um, that's Georgia's the only one that's drawn fewer. And you look at the differences and the missed opportunities between the two games. Mike talked about this, particularly in the Sunday game, about how, hey, after that hot start, Texas A&M, you know, they they had traffic on the base pass and they they made our pitchers throw a bunch of high stress pitches and they gave themselves opportunities. And we really didn't do that. And you look at the two losses that Ole Miss had on Friday and Sunday, they only drew three three walks apiece. In each game. And what was the difference in the Saturday game? Ole Miss drew 11 walks. Now, look, some of that is A&M getting to some worse arms in their bullpen and whatever. Nat, part of that's natural. But for a team that's not not having a ton of opportunities, not walking a, a ton to create opportunities is certainly sub, suboptimal, as they, as they like to say as well. What do you think you, you'd attribute that to? Why is that happening? Um, I don't know. I, you know, that, look, this this team has always been one. Um, and it, it's hard to criticize Mike Clement on any front because he's been extremely good while he's been at Ole Miss over the 10 years that he's – or eight, nine years that he's been here. Um, but, you know, some of it is they just hunt fastballs in the zone and they and they try to get their best swing off. And, you know, um, sometimes when that happens, you you, you obviously aren't going to run pitch counts up. I, I, I think some of it may be, um, you know, and, and I can't look – it would be hard for me to say this just watching, you know, games one time with, with, with the naked eye, but some of it may be a situation where guys feel that they're overmatched at times and, and they try to get out, you know, um, and, and, and swing the bat and get the ball in play before they get to two strikes to avoid striking out. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, I, you know, I don't feel like this team has ever uh, under Clements been one that that's walked a whole lot. Um, and, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that, but, but it's some of it is, you know, look that this team hunts fastballs and some of it is maybe they've got some guys that, that are just a little bit overmatched that are trying to, to get the ball in play before they get to two strikes so that they don't strike out. Um, because, you know, I, I think Ethan Leger, I don't know if you have his stats in front of him can maybe be an example of that. He's a guy that's got a low batting average, but I don't think he has a ton of strikeouts on the year. He does um, not. That's kind of been the one, uh, the one I wouldn't say saving grace for him, but he's only struck out four times in conference play, I think for the year, let me make sure I have this right. He's got 10 strikeouts in 81 at bats and it's yeah. about uh 90. So he's striking out about 10% of the time, which isn't bad. Um, you know, but he's not hitting for, for a high average or a high OPS, you know, a 222 average and a 649 OPS. Um, so maybe it's some of that. Um, I don't know. I don't know the exact answer. It's just kind of maybe a theory. That is an interesting theory, but you're right. I mean, that's something's got to give there because they're just simply not giving themselves enough opportunities. And I thought that manifested itself some in the uh, in the Sunday game today because, as we talked about, Ole Miss puts up two in the first inning um, and then really kind of goes quietly after that other than a Calvin Harris solo home run. Hell, they had, what, six, seven scores frames in between the first and the last inning with that Harris home run and third being the lone exception. But A&M gave themselves opportunities via walks. Ole Miss had some traffic on the base pass, but they only left five runners on base 
grounded into three double plays. What did yeah. you think of uh, what did you think of JT Quinn today? You know, he threw the ball in the strike zone, but again, we talked about this before he started recording. I thought he was pretty fortunate to get to the point to where he did in the game uh, because I didn't think he pitched very well, but he at least made Texas A&M earn it. He only walked one guy. Yeah, he did. And and when you when you look at, you know, maybe some other outings from the weekends from Ole Miss, you know, at least they, they did force them because sometimes, hey, you throw the ball in, in, in the strike zone, they hit it at folks. Um, you know, only one strikeout. But, you know, look, on Sunday, uh, four innings, three earned, or, yeah, I believe that's what it was. You'll, you'll take it most times. I mean, it's nothing dominant. It's nothing great. Um, the, 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 the question becomes, hey, if you only strike out one over four innings, can you consistently only give up three earned? Um, and, and, and that's something that you'll, you'll have to see going forward. But, you know, from a positive standpoint, the, the kid threw the ball in the strike zone. Um, he threw three, uh, three pitches into the strike zone. And, look, it's – you got to operate on a smaller playing scale or, or lower playing scale when grading Ole Miss pitching this year. So, so a guy on Sunday that gives you four innings, three earned, you'll probably just take it at this point. Yep, I I, I don't have much to add to that. You you would certainly take exactly what he did. I mean, he he was he gave them five innings. Ole Miss is for whatever, five, however yeah. it looked. Yeah, a lot of times these scores, these uh, box scores, they don't uh, they don't have pictures. Kind of like a golf scorecard. Yeah. They'll take getting you through five innings yeah. on four earned runs pretty much every Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, if, yeah, and Mike Bianco would sign up for that every Sunday. Unfortunately, his offense two Sundays in a row is not produced to the level that they should have. And then Moreau and Nichols were pretty good in relief. You know, Nichols was really good, helped him kind of screw really, out of a yeah. jam there in the eighth. And then he just, he has the one. That home run today looked pretty wind dated. I don't know, on the walk off, I don't know well, if you thought that was getting out off the bat. The guy I didn't, didn't actually smoke it. So, so, so you kind of screwed me there. Um, you texted me. So, uh, were you watching on the Watch ESPN app? Yes, I was. Well, part so I was having to listen. I was I was driving back for part of it. So I listened to part of the game on uh like Kellum on radio, but then watched the end. So you watched the end. You you must better have must have better internet than me because you texted me and you said uh you know it's seven okay, and like I'm watching them start the inning. I'm like ah oh, crap, <laughs> and then he hit the ball in the air, and I'm like oh my. God. Yeah, I, I played spoiler for you there. That's my fault. It, but it didn't take long. Like that thing ended pretty quickly. But it didn't look like a terrible pitch. It didn't look like a terrible anything. That kid just got one up in the wind, and credit to him, it got out of there. And it's just, it's an unfortunate ending for Mason Nichols, who was pretty good, yeah. and Morell was good a second time again. His arm's been pretty malleable. He's probably getting a lot more work than they had hoped to have him. Uh, I know he's going to be a contributor on this team this year, but he's having to pitch twice a lot because of the lack of numbers they have. But his arm's been pretty malleable. I don't know what his numbers are specifically the second time in a weekend, but his ability to recover and pitch a second time and still be effective for them has been pretty impressive. Yeah, no, uh, I don't know where this team would be without Mitch Morrell. So um, cer- certainly, um, you know, obviously he had the unfortunate outing on, on Friday where it was kind of, um, you know, defense and partly his fault let, the, let him down and then, you know, gives up the home run. Yeah, uh, but but this team certainly has needed him and, and I don't know where they'd be with, without him for sure i don't i don't know how i don't really have a ton else from this weekend i mean it's it's kind of the same song and dance right like i mean it's it's missed opportunities they were bad in the field one game that cost him they weren't good enough at the plate one game and it cost him and they won the middle game because they were good enough at the plate that just kind of was what it was i i guess for just the 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 uh uh, the x the thought exercise sake at one and eight, you're somehow going to have to get to 14 wins to have any shot yeah. at the postseason. Just, I know I'm throwing this on you without planning it, but like, what, what is the, like, what is this path? Oh. I mean, I can make the path. Um, okay, so, so, I don't know the order, but, but here, here are their series remaining. There, it's Arkansas, LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn, Alabama. So five teams from the, from the uh, West, and then you have Missouri and Georgia. I can make a path. Okay. It's you have to between LSU and Arkansas, you got to get three. Um, I don't care, you know. You can say those teams it doesn't matter. You get those two two series at home, you got to get three. Okay, between Mississippi State and Auburn, you got to get five. Okay, well there there's eight. Talking about you know you need thirteen wins, right? There's there there's eight. I know sweeping ain't ain't easy, but when you get swept, you know. Two times at you know one being at home, you got to you got to go take a game back from somebody. And if an Auburn or Mississippi State seemed like the most likely category, so that just found eight wins and and um, four series, right? So leave seven se- or three series remaining: Missouri, Alabama, 
and Georgia. Okay. So I got them. How many wins did I get them? I got them eight. So I got nine wins. I got to win five games in between Missouri, Alabama, and Georgia. Is that possible? Yeah, I guess. Is it likely? I'd bet against it. Um, you know, I'm not, look, I'm not going to say they're completely out of it. I'm not going to say they're completely done, especially after last year when you talk about a team that was seven and 14 and had to go to Alex Box Stadium and sweep a series and they got it done. I'm not going to put it past them, um, but I would bet against it at this point that, that they're able to get to the number they need to to get into the NCAA tournament. Yep, you answered the question. That is the path. I mean, that that that's about as clear as I mean, thirteen and eight after you start one and eight, that gets you to fourteen and sixteen, and boom, there you go. But I, I'm with you. I, I don't know how you could be for that at this point because they just haven't shown that they consistently do everything well enough to take a series, to take series consistently, let alone yeah. do you know perform well enough to sweep. And, you know, we talked about a little bit kind of some of the parallels between this year and last year and how it looks. Well, the difference is last year they had much better pitching. They ended up having much, much better pitching from a starting pitching standpoint. And you felt a lot better about kind of the, and this isn't a knock on anyone currently in the dugout, but a lot of the veteran leadership and you knew a bunch of guys were underperforming. And this team has some guys underperforming, but a lot of them are newcomers and you just don't really know. Are they overmatched? Are they just not as good as you thought they were? And that feels like the difference throw in, you know, once you throw in the, obviously the the three pretty critical pitching injuries too. Well, you know, look, this team played 11 postseason games last year. I think I have that number right. And, you know, Dylan Deluce and Hunter Elliott pitched eight of them. Neither of those guys are available for Ole Miss right now. Um, so, you know, it's 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 just kind of is what it is. Look, the, I don't know how you can project this team to go 13-8. and eight. And, look, I certainly hope that they do because I think, you know, if, if by the time they get into the tournament, um, this team could actually be finding itself and be okay. So I certainly am, am hopeful that they're able to figure out a way and um, maybe they will, but, but you're going to have to go. That's the thing. Like, you know, where they, they look uncompetitive against Vanderbilt in Florida, right? Um, well, Florida and, or excuse me, Arkansas and LSU are just as good as those two teams. And now you've put yourselves in a situation where you better go win one of those series. Um, and, and, and the teams that they're comparable to, um, that you've already played, you went 0-6 again. So it's just kind of hard to to picture the path without sweeping some of these bad baseball teams that you play. Um, and I'm not sure what could give you any confidence that Ole Miss is in position to sweep anybody right now. They got a road game in the midweek at Memphis before a Thursday-Saturday series against uh, Arkansas here in Oxford on Easter weekend. I, I don't even know. It sounds kind of foolish to call it a big series, but hey, if you go one and twelve, then you really got nothing to talk about. Then we can really, really hammer oh my- that nail in the coffin if you get swept. Oh my this weekend. god! But the series is the next one. I guess I'll just describe it as that. But to throw that package into a real question: Would you do anything differently on the mound, or would you run it back no. exactly as you no, did? I, I, I think I'd run it back the same way. Um, probably the best, you know probably the best weekend on the mound um in sec play so um no i i would run it back to the same way and, and hope that it worked out i don't think i'd do anything um, differently I'll, either. I'll ask you this does grace and sonye start at memphis on tuesday that's exactly where i was going with this what is sonye what contributions do you get from this is the one of the things i pointed out when when they did elect to make the the rotation switch and i, I agreed with the move I, I think in some cases it was probably slightly uh, overdue for that to happen. But you talk about a team that already has limited arms. Grayson Sonier is a very talented freshman who was your Saturday guy for a you know, large chunk of the what is now the early portion of the season. Like, Is he just cast away? Is he just no longer a contributor? I, I don't know if this team can get away with that. I, I And to answer your question, I, I don't really know what they do. What, I guess yeah. you start him Tuesday in Memphis? I He's going to pitch, you see. I, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that, don't you? Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, the only other starter I could come up with is is, is a Jordan Vera, maybe? I, I don't well, know. Tukoyan started last Tuesday. Tukoyan, that's right. That was another one I was forgetting because he did start the no-game. Uh, so, so, fun thing. Did you did you get to watch the game, end of the game Saturday? Uh, yes. So, did you see when Mike took uh, Vera off the mound after he walked his second in the ninth inning and he had to make a switch to get the last out? Yes, I did. He did not even speak to the poor kid. He seemed pretty annoyed. He did not even look at him. So I I got my money against him. 
There was and something I, I sort of like kind of noticed, but then I was like, ah, maybe Mike's just ready to get out of there. Not much to say. Hey, you've won the game, but that did feel a little bit like because he walked, like you said, two guys, a lot of hit, and then it was like, I, it felt like Jesus, man, this again. <laughs> no, and I think that kid's actually going to be pretty good, but it just I do seemed too. like. I, it just seemed like Mike was really pissed off at that moment that he had to go put somebody else in the game. Yeah, it seemed like he uh, he had might had seen enough out of Mister Vera for the time being. So maybe it's uh maybe it's Grayson Sonier, and then you got a Thursday through Saturday series um, that uh you know whatever they'll run the same thing out pitching wise and let's see if they can put enough enough together to have a different result. But as we talked about, I'd probably. Probably bet against it, not only for the long term, but for this season. Kind of a big picture conversation. We brought this up uh, after, I think last week, and we talked about this a little bit, but should this team continue? And look, there's varying degrees of how this can go. Like 7-23 and 23 or something like that. It's like, man, like that that's not a great look. But hey, if you find it late in the year and you finish 13 and 17 yeah. or 12 and 18, but you just ran out of time after a terrible start, that's different too. I guess to, to, to throw that into an actual question, what do you make of a team winning a national title and then it, and its title defense failing to reach the NCAA tournament? Um, well, it depends on how you look at it. Look, if you want to take a 50,000 feet view, like, oh, what's wrong with the program? Well, simple answer. All right, I'll ask you this. If if Josh Mallett, Hunter Elliott, and Raleigh Maddox are healthy, do they make the NCAA tournament? Yes. Okay. So, like, you know, it 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 kind of just is what it is. You you had crappy injury luck and uh just it is what it is. If this was a if this was a thing where I thought all this um, you know, consistently had pitchers hurt, I'd be worried. But I think there's twenty three years of data that tells you that that they don't really get arms hurt that often. Um so uh, just sometimes you just have to chalk it up to crap luck and just is what it is. Sometimes bad things happen to your team and it, it just is unfortunate, but it's reality. Yeah, it it is. And it's, it's, I do think, you know, talk about kind of the, the rest of this being a, a little bit uh, academic, but the, just kind of, rem- I mean, this sounds dumb, but remaining in the fight and not, um, and not rolling out like a Mississippi State type thing. And granted, some sure. of theirs last year was excused from a from a injury standpoint, but just c- not completely cratering. I do think there is something to be said for sure. that. No, I, I think this team needs to go at least twelve and eighteen, thirteen and seventeen. Um, I, I do think that because, like, look, you, you, I think anybody that looks at this program from a logical perspective is, you know, hey, look, they got a lot of dudes on the mound that are going to be back. You know, obviously they're going to lose a good bit in the lineup, but you, but you would hope that they go out and hit the portal and that they've got some guys in Udermark and Burford and Leger and um, Furness that are going to return and be good players. Um, then maybe you get lucky and get one of the other guys back. Um, you know, but. I think if it, you can kind of view it as maybe, um, you know, a, a team, if they can finish 12 and 18, 13 and 17 and play good baseball down the stretch, maybe like you said, just run out of time, maybe view it as a team that like, hey, a bunch of young kids went and won, you know, what is it, what would essentially be the NIT? Um, and is, is that the standard for Ole Miss baseball? Absolutely not. But sometimes, like I've said, it just bad things happen. But you you certainly look, there there, there is an optical difference between 5 and 25, 9 and 21 and 13 and 17. Um, so if, if you're an Ole Miss fan, I think that, look, does it, does it really, really matter? No, but I, I do think, no, but I do think there is an element to saying, okay, the, the program's okay. Um, at 13 and 17, whereas at like seven and 23, you're like, what the hell happened? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. How about a the starter make Hoover? Yeah. Yeah. Like that would be good. I would enjoy, um, you know getting to watch the Rebels play in Hoover, um, you know, past Tuesday night. That would that would be fun. Um, you know, hey, what if this team is like 12 and 18? And like, like, I think this would be a good thing. Like Kentucky last year, 12 and 18, and you're playing on Saturday in the semifinals and because your young guys kind of figured it out um, and you just kind of screw around and make some people miserable. I think that would be a cool thing, like if the team is, isn't able to turn the co- corner fully and make the NCAA tournament. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe just put yourselves in position to, to go over to Hoover and screw up some people's seasons. Play the spoiler. Like, yeah. Well, what would that terminology be? Not don't let the Rebs get hot. It'd be like, don't let the Rebs end your season. I, I don't think you can put that on a shirt. I don't think that would sell as well. <laughs> you don't think that one's going to go in rubble racks. It didn't roll off the tongue when I first just thought of this now here in this moment, it, it didn't roll off the tongue is, is when Tim Elko said, whatever he said it, 
uh, last year. That that one felt a little bit better. So congrats to Tim Elko on being better at marketing than me. But yeah, I uh, I do think that 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 the how this plays out and how bad it becomes is is somewhat significant from an optic standpoint. But as you point out, at the end of the day, nothing earth shattering from a program standpoint. So we'll kind of see where it goes. Let's take a quick look around the Southeastern Conference this weekend. Um, if you needed a, a look at the standings, Ole Miss is, in fact, in last in the West. I, I hope I'm not breaking any news there. Um, you mean there's not an 0 and 9 team? There is not an 0 and 9 team, unless you have someone, I don't know, it's, it's uncovered later on that a team uh, had some recruiting violations and Tennessee retroactively goes, uh, I don't know, 0 and 30. Um, <laughs> but outside of that, Ole Miss, as we sit uh, without time traveling, is in last place in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, Cool, a very interesting series in Baton Rouge. LSU takes two or three from Tennessee. I didn't get to watch much on Friday. I watched a ton of this Thursday game as I was going back and forth because, uh, you know, you get Paul Skeens on, you get Dolan. Really that, that's pretty good college baseball. That's about as good as you're going to get. Um, they lost two of three, but I was actually pretty impressed with Tennessee. You know, they were close to to winning that Friday night game, and I, I don't know. I know we're not allowed to talk talk nice about Tennessee on this podcast, but I thought that was a tough competitive series, and I left pretty impressed with both of those clubs. They're both going to no, be they're, pretty they're, they're going to play hard, um, Tennessee. It's just Batello. They they will play hard and they'll be scrappy. Um, I don't. I just don't think they're near as good as they were last year. Um, still, obviously, a good baseball team with Dolander and Burns. Um, is Beam still there? Drew Drew Beam, if he's still there, that's a hell of a rotation. Um, but yeah, no, um, certainly certainly um, a good weekend for LSU. And I don't know if you if you like actually like college baseball. Um, Paul Skeens is appointment viewing. Like I would I would change my schedule around to watch that dude pitch. He is electric. Um, I'm sorry, I blanked on you for a second and then I froze up. Uh, yes, Beam is there. I believe he's there. He was their Sunday starter in the win today. Goodness. What a rotation. Um, yeah, that is a pretty good rotation. And you mentioned you're exactly I echo everything you said on the Paul, the Paul Skeens being appointment viewing. But then when you catch him on a night against another arm like Chase Dollander, it just makes for a fun, it just really makes for yeah. fun viewing in general, honestly. I mean, that's that is about as good as you can get. That was a great atmosphere down there on Thursday night in Alex Box and really just a great college baseball game. I don't have anything else to say about that. But they they uh they, that was a competitive series. And so uh, LSU takes two, and then you have – oh, man, of course I'll lose my bookmark on this as I'm looking for it. But uh, you had South Carolina State. State snapped their 17-game conference losing streak, um, and then they play what's kind of becoming a theme for them, a game that was somewhat competitive for a while, and then it blew up on them in the last inning. They lose two or three. They are now also one and eight. And uh, I watched a little bit of Lamonis's post-game press conference um after the game i guess that had been saturday for them the finale i watched a little bit of that this morning uh that seems like a pretty defeated dude who's out of answers and is also very unhappy with the effort he's getting from his club on a night in night out basis so he got run in one of these games is that correct he got run in the thursday game i was actually watching this piece of it so state had a scenario in the top of the six or excuse me i guess that'd be bottom six duh uh they're at home um (laughs) it was um 3-3, 3-3, they had corners, no outs, um, and they didn't get a run home. They ran Jordan, uh, Dakota Jordan, and he got thrown out at first. So the first inning is uh, – second, excuse me, still in second. First out made on the base path, then you go pop-up strikeout. And that felt like a back-breaking sequence. Um, South Carolina gets a man on to start the inning. Um, then South Carolina basically had what would have been a strike three call. The umpire squeezed him. It was a ball. Well, the next pitch, the kid hit it over the fence. And all of a sudden, it's 5-3 Gamecocks. And uh, uh, my man, Lamonis, I can't say I blame him here. He'd seen enough. I, and, and, uh, <laughs> South Carolina was also chirping the dugout pretty repeatedly and uh, and was really kind of punking Mississippi State in a lot of ways. They were pretty aggressive with some of their antics. And so I bring that up to say I don't know what – Lamonis was most upset about I think he was probably if I had to put a ranking on it probably most upset about the strike call the non-strike called the pitch before he probably didn't like the fact that a third a second opponent in a row has come into their place and really not only beat them but kind of like punked them as I mentioned and then third he was probably mad at the back-breaking sequence and how that uh, catapulted into yeah. them somehow being behind five to three it was probably a combination of all those things and he was like you know what I'm about to get run I've had enough <laughs> I'm going to go to the house. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that's where our guy stood there. I, I think he, he had had enough at that point. Um, 
in time. So, you know. And they kind of feel like Ole Miss, and it's like, yeah, you won a game, congrats. But, you know, you, you still see the reality of what your season is. Um, so, yeah, uh, t- tough, another tough weekend for, for them in Starkville. I guess misery loves company. Yeah, no no kidding there. And I, I don't know what they do because they're – I mean, at least Ole Miss is coming back home at 1-8. and eight. Uh, Mississippi State is about to go to Tuscaloosa next weekend, I believe. Oh, against a team that needs that. Yes, 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 it is. Um, so that was interesting. You got Auburn, I believe Florida won 12 to five or not 12 to five. They won a crazy game today, uh, to take that series. I believe Auburn, if I have this right, was up eight to three in that game and lost 17 to eight. Oh my God. That, that's, that seems rough. That's a bad bullpen right there. That is a, uh, yeah, that, that's not what you want out of your bullpen. And then um, Alabama loses a tough game, five to four in the finale to Arkansas. And Alabama is now what? They're three and six after three weekends. They just they haven't won a series. They've lost two out of three. They lost a road series at Florida, a home series. No, excuse me. They're two and seven. They got no. They, yeah. They sweet got swept. No, they lost a series to Kentucky. They didn't get swept. Three and six. Yeah, correct. Um. So did you see my man uh, Bohana Bohannon uh, mock the calling of the Hogs after he got ejected? Oh, no, I didn't catch any of that. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, so he got ran, and they're, like, calling the hogs. My man stops, like, right before the dugout, like, makes fun of them, like, does his arms up and is, like, pointing and laughing at them. That's good stuff. Uh, so you think he was just sick of the whole thing? What, what What do you think led to our guy mocking the calling? I don't know what actually got him run. Uh, I just saw this video of it. <laughs> he just was making fun of the Arkansas fans. I'm like, I like that guy. That guy. That guy is uh, he he's gonna say what he thinks and does not care because you remember he got a he got the Mississippi State fan base in the tizzy uh, back before the season started. I guess that was back in the fall. And then he also had yeah about the the, the them being able to take whoever they want for need based yeah. aid or whatever. And then he had that uh, quote in the uh, D one kind of uh, SEC Alabama like preseason notebook about how they didn't remember. He said I think we're pretty good. Bunch of fifth year seniors. We didn't go buy a team like some of these other places did. You remember that That's one? Right. I kind of love this. I love this guy. This guy's just firing from the hip. He doesn't care who he makes mad. So congrats to uh, congrats to him. I, I think he'd prefer not to be three and six. And then uh, how about the Missouri Tigers? They sweep Tennessee at home to open the uh, open the year. I guess they just called it a season. They were swept by Kentucky yeah. <laughs> after being swept by South Carolina. Yeah, they got those three versus Tennessee, and we're like, "Hey, uh, we're done spending money on this." Just yeah, y'all, catch y'all us in Hoover, down. bro. Like, don't check back in with us again. We we'll try to make Hoover. We can't guarantee we'll be there, but we'll check back in then. We're, we're good. <laughs> and everybody's like, "Thanks for sweeping Tennessee. Appreciate that. We got some laughs." They did a public um, service to college baseball, and the rest of their season is just gravy. <laughs> um, my boys in Lexington playing good baseball. You were on that one. I didn't think they were that good, but they are very good. They pitch the hell out of it, and they do just enough offensively. Yeah, they uh, they get Georgia next weekend. Chance to be ten and two. Schedule gets harder after that because Florida, Vandy, Missouri, uh, South Carolina. Wow. Uh, so that's four of their last six series. So yeah, they uh, they need to need to keep winning baseball games before they get those those four teams into town. Yes, yes, they do. Um, and then what I had one more that we probably missed, or was that oh, Georgia Vanderbilt, Georgia now, nah, excuse me, Vanderbilt now nine and oh in the conference, they might be God. pretty good too. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, I think we were right in that Vanderbilt was really good. Um, and and that's why Ole Miss was really bad, but unfortunately, it just turns out that Ole Miss may just be bad as well. Yeah, exactly. I think just both things were true because remember that Vanderbilt series, they had str- really struggled offensively. And they had just made some lineup tweaks, I think, at the end of the previous week. And they had granted against inferior competition, had some nice offensive outputs in the couple games leading up. And that offense appears to be a lot better than it was early in the year. They're, they're swinging the hell out of it. That's three weekends in a row they put it on three pitching staffs. Um, so they've scored. They're, they're at, uh, granted, the 27-run game uh, against State has kind of skewed this. But their conference play numbers in terms of runs scored compared to the rest of the league is pretty nuts. I'm about to go find it. They've scored 111 runs, and uh, Kentucky is second in the league in run, uh, in run scored in conference play at 76. <laughs> pretty pretty solid. It's almost 50 more runs scored than the next closest opponent. So uh, that was the are- look around the SEC. That'll uh, that'll do it for us this week. That's our show. I appreciate the time as always, my man. We'll check in with you uh sometime this week or probably after the Arkansas series, but I appreciate the time, man, and good luck in your games this week. All right. Appreciate it, bro.
All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for tuning in. As always, have a couple more shows, probably some football-centric stuff, and then uh, maybe a little bit more baseball later on in the week. But a couple of things in the works, and uh, we'll definitely have some great podcasts for you. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we'll catch you again later on this week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.